The Boer Case. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation presents a play by Alan King based on an historic murder trial which took place in Alberta in the late 1920s. It was a trial in which the skills of a mind reader were used to bring about a confession. The play is part of the series Famous Canadian Trials, produced in the Montreal studios of the CBC. The Boer Case. On July the 9th, 1928, four persons were murdered on the ranch of Mr. Henry Boer in Alberta. As chief of police at Edmonton, it became my duty to conduct an investigation. By the time of the inquest, we had examined everybody who might be in any way concerned with the murder, followed up every clue, and studied every shred of evidence. And it all proved a complete waste of time. We didn't know who had done the shooting. We hadn't even a theory. In other words, we were baffled. And at the conclusion of the inquest, the coroner's jury could do no better than bring in a verdict of death by shooting by person or persons unknown. They had heard every shred of evidence there was, beginning with that of Constable Olson of Manville, Alberta. Our office received word that four persons had been killed on a farm belonging to Mr. Henry Boer, about 80 miles from Manville, and I was sent to investigate. I was met by Henry Boer, his son Vernon, and a neighbor named Charles Stevenson, who had been visiting at the time of the shooting. Henry Boer was in a state of shock, but he was able to show me three of the victims. Who were they, Constable Olson? Well, the first was Mr. Boer's wife, Rose, who'd apparently been shot as she sat at a table in the dining room. I found three bullet holes in her neck. The second victim was Mr. Boer's eldest son, Fred. His body was lying face upwards on the floor of the kitchen, and it appeared that he'd been killed by a bullet in the mouth which had thrown him backwards. Mr. Boer then led me to a bunkhouse where I found the body of Gabriel Gramby, a hired man who'd been shot twice in the head and once in the chest. What did you do then? I questioned the three persons present, beginning with Vernon Boer. I had discovered the bodies. When was this? It was about eight o'clock in the evening. Where were you? Uh, I was working out in the fields. I heard rifle shots. They seemed to be coming from the house here, so I... I ran to see what had happened. When I got here, my my mother was lying there in the dining room. I, I knelt down by her body, but she was dead. Then I went through the house and found the others. They were dead, too. What to do then? Well, I thought I'd better get a doctor. But we happened to telephone, so I ran to one of the neighbor, and he telephoned for Dr. Heslop. That's the doctor who's here now? Yes. He came and... Wait a minute. What's the matter? Rogic. I haven't seen him around. Who's he? The other hired man. Kind of strange that we haven't seen him. Maybe he was well, the one... where do you think he might be? I don't know. Come on, all of you. Did you conduct a search for Rosick, Constable? Yes, sir. We found him in the barn, or rather his body. He'd been shot twice in the head. What did you do then? We searched the house and found nothing missing, not even money, so I concluded it was not murder and robbery. Messages were sent to some of the neighbors then. They formed a posse to search for any suspicious strangers. In the meantime, I continued to question the persons at the ranch. I asked Mr. Henry Boer where he was at the time of the shooting. I was out in the fields. Surely you must have heard some of the shots. No. I wish to God I had heard them. 
that I was working some ways off, up on the northeast part of the east section of the ranch. I heard nothing. You any idea who might have done the shooting? No. No, none at all. Uh, Miss Boer, had your wife any enemies that you know of? Enemies? Oh, no, that couldn't be. Right, Rose? Rose was one of the best-loved women in these parts. She was always doing something for the neighbors. Everybody loved her. All right, Mr. Boer. I know it's pretty hard on you. You just uh, take it easy for a while. Thank you, Constable. Miss Stevenson? Uh, Charles Stevenson, is it? Yes. Your neighbor, is that right? Yeah. Well, and how did you happen to be on the Boer Ranch at the time? Well, uh, Henry asked me to come over... He had a new farm equipment catalog. He wanted me to have a look at it and see what I thought about going in with him to buy a new harvester. That's right, Constable. That's quite right. Then what did you do, Constable? Well, about that time, Dr. Heslip had finished his examination, so I asked him to take Henry Boer, Vernon, and Charles Stevenson over to Mr. Stevenson's place to see that they stayed there. Then I sent a message to Edmonton Police Headquarters, and they sent down Detective Leslie and Inspector Longacre. And they took over, did they? Yes, sir. Thank you, Constable. Longacre and Leslie were my men. I sent them down, figuring they could clean up the case without me. A few days later, Leslie sent in his report, which was just about the same as the evidence he gave at the inquest. Uh, We tested the entire house for fingerprints. Found a great many. Were you able to determine whose they were, Mr. Leslie? Uh, yes, sir. They all belonged either to members of the Boer family or to the hired hands. What other investigations did you make? Well, <clears throat> uh, first of all, we searched for either a revolver or a rifle. But we were unable to find one anywhere. And the strangest thing of all was that not only were there no shells, there were no bullets to be found either. Do you mean that the bullets that had killed the victims were not there? Uh, that's right, sir. The killer must have gone over the house carefully and picked up every bullet and shell that had been fired. At least all except one. We did find one. And uh, where was that? Well, it was lying in some dirty water in a dishpan. We couldn't determine how it got there, but obviously the murderer overlooked it. It was hard to see. Can you say what kind of a bullet it was? Yes, sir. It had been fired from a three-zero-three rifle. We tested it for fingerprints, but there weren't any. We made a new search for the rifle it might have been fired from, but... Well, all we found was an old shotgun and a twenty-two, and they obviously hadn't been fired recently. No, uh, three-zero-three. No, sir. Uh, when we found the bullet, we asked if anyone owned a three-zero-three. Uh, Mr. Stevenson said he did. That is Charles Stevenson, the neighbor who was there. Yes, sir. Well, when he told me that, I asked him where the rifle was, but he said it was missing. I asked him to explain, and he said that while he had been in church the previous Sunday. The rifle had disappeared from his house. And then you continued your investigations, did you? Yes, sir, as far as I could. Um, we were unable to find any further evidence that pointed in any way to the three persons who were on the farm that day. Mr. Boer Sr., Vernon Boer, or uh, Charles Stevenson. And finally, Inspector Longacre and I went back to Edmonton and made our report to Chief Gear. Very well. Uh, thank you, Detective Leslie. Yes, sir. Uh, call Dr. Heslip. <laughs> Dr. Heslip described what he had found, the nature of the wounds and so on, and was pretty well able to fix the various times of death. Mrs. Boer appears to have been the first victim. Uh, She was shot at the table where she was sitting, cleaning strawberries. Her son, Fred, was killed next, 
Probably when he started towards the dining room after hearing the shots. And the two hired men, uh, Rossett and Crombie, were they killed at the same time, Doctor? No. As far as I could estimate, Rosick was killed about half an hour after the other two, and uh, Crombie about two hours later. This would agree with the evidence already given by some of the neighbors who say they heard shots about those times. That is to say, about uh, 6, 6.30 and uh, 8 o'clock. Thank you, Doctor. <laughs> the trouble was that none of the neighbors who heard the shots paid any attention to them. There was usually someone out hunting, and the sound of shooting was quite common. After Dr. Heslip gave his evidence and was followed by some of the neighbors, Vernon Boer was called to the stand. Mr. Boer, you heard the evidence of Robert Scott, did you? Yes, sir. He stated that he had driven down the road which passes your ranch about 6.30 and that he stopped to talk to you. Is that correct? Yes, sir. We were talking about various things and then Roger came up and asked me what other chores were to be done that evening. And what did you tell him? Uh, I told him to go over the barn and feed the pigs. What have you to say about uh, hearing any shots? Well, I... I think I, I did hear some shots about 8 o'clock, but I didn't pay any attention to them. I, I thought maybe it was a tractor backfiring or someone shooting at a fox, maybe Charlie Stevenson. You didn't trouble to find out what they were? No, sir. On, on the farm, you hear shooting all the time. Yes. All right, Mr. Boer. Uh, call Charles Stevenson. <laughs> <coughs> Mr. Stevenson, you told the police, I believe, that you had a three oh three rifle. Yes, sir. But it disappeared. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't know what happened, except that it must have been stolen. Have you any idea when? Well, like I told the police, I figure it was taken on the Sunday before the shooting. Well, I was in church. I know it was there when I put on my church clothes, and it was missing when I came home and took them off. Did you report it? No, sir. Why not? Because I thought someone might have just borrowed it. Borrowed it? Yes, sir. If I needed a gun, I wouldn't think twice about borrowing a friend's. It's the custom around here. Then the coroner asked Henry Boer and Vernon Boer where they were on that particular Sunday, and they both said they were in church and that they didn't know anything about Stevenson's rifle. And that's about all the evidence there was. The coroner's jury went out and deliberated, and the best they could do was to come back with the verdict that it was murder by a person or persons unknown. And I tell you, it didn't make us policemen feel very good. The shooting of four people like that on a farm shouldn't have been so hard to solve. It wasn't as if the murderer could get lost among thousands of people the way he could in a city. But there it was. There was nothing else we could do. Nothing in reason, that is. Everything that happened after that inquest was a... It was as unreasonable as the weirdest flights of fancy in some book of detective fiction. And I started it against my own common sense. All during that inquest, there was a man sitting there that... I had persuaded to stop off on his way to the Arctic to study the mentality of the Eskimos. His name was Dr. Maximilian Langsner, originally from Vienna. And I heard about him because of something he did in Vancouver. The local press had played him up because of the way he'd solved a jewel robbery there. And I read an interview he gave. I hear there is a robbery. The police have a suspect, but no jewels. I go to the police and I say that I, Langsner, can find the jewels. Only because they are in despair, they listen to me. I say, place me in the cell with the suspect and I will tell you. So in the cell for a half an hour I am. I say nothing. I come out, I say to the police, 
The jewels are hidden behind a picture in a room with yellow walls. They say we have searched twice the room with yellow walls. It is the room of the girlfriend of the suspect. There is nothing. How do you know there is such a room? I say to them, never mind, search. So they search, and behind the picture, they find the jewels under the wallpaper. Well, I'm a policeman. I don't believe in amateurs meddling in our work, but we hadn't made much of a job of the Boer murders. And when I read about this fellow finding the jewels in Vancouver, I wrote to him and invited him to come and have a crack at our mystery. He arrived in Edmonton the day of the inquest, and Detective Leslie met him at the station and drove him to where the inquest was being held. Do you mind me asking you how you solved that job in Vancouver, Doctor? <laughs> You're not the only one who asked. I solve it by telepathy. <laughs> telepathy? Yeah, yeah. If I am in contact with another person, I can read his thoughts. But how do you do that? My, I don't know. Some people have the power, some have not. I call it brainwaves. I am a student of the mind. I was on my way to study the minds of the Eskimos when your chief wrote to me. Well, I hope you can do a better job than we did, Doctor. We shall see, we shall see. So this was the man who sat all through the coroner's inquest, saying nothing but watching and listening very intently. After it was over, he and Leslie came into my office. Well, Chief, that didn't get us anywhere, did it? No. But uh, before I ask Dr. Langsner for his opinion, I'd like to mention just how it looks to me. Seems to me that there are three people who could be guilty. Henry Boer, the father, Vernon Boer, the son, and Charles Stevenson, the neighbor. Agreed? Sure. But the trouble is that none of them has a motive. Henry thought the world of his wife is completely broken up by her death. Hmm. And Vernon, he hasn't got the slightest reason for killing his mother. And certainly Charles Stevenson hasn't. Well, what do you think then, Chief? I think that there's a psychopathic killer loose somewhere. Someone who kills without rhyme or reason. And that's the man we've got to get hold of. Um, I think you're probably right. Uh, Dr. Langsley, you've uh, seen yeah. all the suspects and heard all the evidence. You know as much about it now as we do. What is your opinion? First, I disagree that there are three suspects... There is only one. Only yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, only one. The man who killed all those four people is Vernon Boer. Vernon Boer? Vernon. Yeah, yeah, that I know. But how can you be so sure? Can you prove it? Mm, I have no proof. But listen to me now. In the brain, there are electrical charges. And because of those charges, I can read the thoughts of the persons who are near me. Today I have read the thoughts of every person who was on the witness stand. Mind reading? Well, if you want to call it that, we are good. <laughs> Let me explain. When a man commits a violent crime, he develops a strong sense of guilt, and at the same time he develops a fear of being discovered. You would agree, huh? Yes, I guess I would. Well, good, good. Then, because of that, he goes over and over the details of the crime in his mind over and over again. The way I describe it, he vocalizes his crime in his mind. Uh, you're getting beyond me, Doctor. No, no, it is not so difficult to understand. If, if you have some problem worrying you, 
Do you not think it over and over? And sometimes you cannot sleep because thinking about it, huh? Well, yes, <laughs> that's yeah, true. Yeah, then you see, your mind is full of it. And in such a case, I can read your thoughts as I did today, huh? And uh, what was Vernon Boer thinking? Eh, I would like to be closer to him. But I do know he is worried. And he will give us a clue. The clue we'd like to find is a rifle. Did you, uh... Read anything about that? Yeah. I can tell you where is the rifle. It was when Charles Stevenson was telling how his rifle was lost. Yes, I remember. While he was telling, Vernon was thinking, thinking very hard, because it would be dangerous for him if the rifle was found. So when he is thinking, I am reading his mind, and I see where he has put the rifle. Where, Doctor? It is... It is in a patch of prairie grass... About uh, 200 yards, yeah, 200 yards behind the farmhouse. Now, wait, now, yeah, 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 let's see. It is to the west because I can see the sun shining in that direction. Uh, Are you sure of that, Doctor? Yeah, I am sure. That is what he is thinking. It is a very clear picture. All right, then. Will you come out with us to the Boer farm tomorrow morning? Why, of course. Am I not here to help you? What's he doing? Just seems to be walking back and forth, back of the house there, like a guy in a trance. (laughs) Funny-looking duck, isn't he, Chief? I don't care if he looks like a man from Mars, so long as he can clear this murder up. Yeah. (laughs) Looks like all the comic Viennese professors you ever heard of. Long white hair. The accent? Wait, I I think he wants it. Mr. Leslie, will you come here, please? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Sure, Professor. Looks like he's found something. I hope so. You found something, Doctor? I think so. Stand here now by this tree with me. Okay. (coughs) Now what? Now, in this direction where I point, you walk ten steps straight ahead, please. Uh, uh, This way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now walk. Okay. One. You really think you know where the rifle is, Doctor? We will see. We will see. Seven. Eight. Nine. Hey, hey, Chief. Here it is. Hey, look. Huh. I was lying in the grass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where I saw it in his mind. Doctor, I've got to hand it to you. Come on, we'll get back to town and get that identified. Well, Doctor, that's it, all right. Stevenson identifies it as his rifle. But there aren't any fingerprints on it. Oh, of course not. Vernon Boer wiped them off. When he was on the witness stand, he was thinking, I remember. He was thinking he was so glad he had done so. (laughs) Doctor, you're a wonder. You (laughs) certainly are. But, um, well, there still isn't direct evidence against Vernon. Yes, but it's something. I think it's enough to hold him as a material witness, best we can do at the moment. Have him brought in, will you, and we'll keep him here in custody. All right, Chief. Uh, But what happens then? We can't keep him locked up indefinitely. Please, may I suggest... Please do, Doctor. When you have him in the jail, permit me to be in his cell, too. Or uh, close to it. In the next one, perhaps, yeah? What good will that do? If I am close to him, I can read his brainwaves. All right, Doctor, but I need evidence. Brainwaves aren't evidence I can take into court. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But please, let me try, yeah? Then there will come perhaps some information. After the way you found that gun, I'm willing to try anything. 
Let's see, how would it be if you sat right outside the cell and uh, we'll make sure there'll be no noise or interruption? Good, good. That will be all right. So that's what we arranged. We put Vernon Boer in the cell and Dr. Langsner sat right outside the bars where he could see Vernon and Vernon could see him. He was there for an hour. It was a very strange session. The doc never said a word, just sat there smiling. But Vernon did his best to start a conversation. What are you doing there? Gee, deaf or something? What's the idea, just sitting staring at me? Look, I, I don't know who you are, but maybe you know something about why I'm here. They got nothing on me. Where'd they lock me up? It gives me the creeps. Well, you just sit there, smiling, saying nothing. Oh, wait a minute, didn't I see you at the inquest? Sure I did. I, I couldn't miss you with that long white hair of yours. <laughs> Come on now. Tell me what you're doing. What do you want? Well, okay, keep your mouth shut then. I might as well shut up myself. I'm wasting my time with you. And the rest of the hour went by in silence. Doctor just sitting there. Vernon, finally sitting on his bunk with his back turned, just silence. And then Dr. Langsner got up, smiled and said goodbye and came into my office. Well, doctor, how did you make out? Did you get anything? Yeah, yeah. I can tell you now for sure. Vernon Boer is guilty. You're sure of that? Yeah. But, uh, why did he do it? Do you know that? Mm, not exactly. But I can tell you this. He hated his mother. And that is why he killed her. Hated her? Yeah, yeah. But I cannot tell yet why. When he is not sorry for killing her. When he went into the dining room to kill her, she was sitting there at the table, and she spoke to him without turning around. This somehow startled him. He became very angry, and he shot her three times. It's incredible. But uh, what about his brother? Ah, he is sorry for that. But he could not help it. His brother came to the door when he heard the shots. When Vernon killed him, so he would not tell what Vernon had done. I see. But uh, what about the hired men? Rosick and Crombie, they didn't know what had happened. Ah, uh, no, uh, they did not know. But after the shooting, Vernon must hide the gun, no? So he goes out to the fields to find a place to hide it. And he is afraid that Rosick is watching him, so he kills him too. And Crombie? Ah, uh, he is sad about that too. See, he likes Crombie but he thinks for a long time, and he believes there is a danger from him. So after two hours, he looks for him and kills him too. So all witnesses are dead, you see. Well, it makes sense. That may very well be true, but uh, how are we going to prove it? I think there is a way. You see, Vernon Boer is afraid of some woman. You should find her. What woman? What's she got to do with it? Uh, this is what I read from Vernon's mind. On Sunday, he steals the gun from Charles Stevenson. Yes. Stevenson said it was stolen while he was at church. But Vernon was at church, too. We have proof. Yeah, but this woman, she sees him go out of the church. It was while the sermon was being given. But you... you can't tell who she is? Mm, she... she was wearing... what do you call a... a, a bonnet uh, like this. Oh, a, a poke bonnet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A poke bonnet. And she has small, dark eyes and a long, square jaw. She was sitting in the pew next to the last and left of the center aisle. She saw him leave, and she watched for him to come back. 
Does he know that? Oh, yeah, yeah, he knows. And he is afraid of her. So you find her, and she is proof. Uh, <clears throat> it didn't take me long to find her. Her name was Emma Higgins, and she was just the kind of prying spinster that would notice everything that went on. Oh, you know the kind. Spends more time in church watching for the young people, see how they behave, rather than listening to the service. Well, I asked her about Vernon, and she said, sure. She saw him leave. She just sat there to see if he came back. Well, I gathered she didn't approve of people who left during the sermon. Though I doubt if she herself was paying much attention to the one that Sunday. But as the chief said, we still hadn't got any evidence we could take into court. So, we planned a meeting. We got Emma into the chief's office and had her standing there in the middle of the room with Dr. Langsner standing just behind her. Then Chief Gear sat at his desk while I and another detective stood on either side of the door. Then Vernon Boer was brought into the room. Emma Higgins started up right away. Vernon, I saw you leave the church that Sunday. The day Charlie Stevenson's rifle was stolen. I know you did, Emma. Well. Oh, let me confess. Let me confess. I killed him. I killed him. I killed him. And that was it. Vernon Boer dictated a full confession and signed it. It was just as Dr. Langsner had said, except that he filled in the reasons why. My mother, deeply loved as she was throughout the community, was a, a dominating and dictatorial person. She held her menfolk in a tight rein, especially me, her youngest and favorite son. I fell in love with a lovely girl, a daughter of a migrant farm worker. Mother sternly refused to countenance the marriage. Well, my father, Henry Boer, he laughed af off the affair as a teenage whim. One day, my mother referred to my girl in slighting terms, which made me mad. I brought her to the farm on a visit one Sunday afternoon. My mother told her to leave the place at once. My resentment blazed up, and the result was my decision to kill my mother. That same evening, I borrowed the 303 rifle from Charlie Stevenson while he was in church. As for the reasons why he killed the others, Dr. Langsner had told us that, and the confession confirmed it. Vernon went on trial for murder in the spring, but that confession almost amounted to a plea of guilty. It was all over quickly, and he was hanged on April 16, 1929. The only mystery remaining was how Dr. Langsner read Vernon's mind. Are there electrical charges in the brain that make waves? I don't know. And the professor never had a chance to develop his theories because he died soon after up among the Eskimos while he was studying their patterns of thought. He wasn't there to give evidence at the trial. What jury would have believed him? For that matter, do you think a down-to-earth policeman like me would have believed what Langsner did if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes? The Boer case was produced in Montreal by Rupert Kaplan as part of the CBC series Famous Canadian Trials. Script by Alan King, based on research by R.S. Lambert. Leading roles were played by Bud Knapp, Henry Raymer, Leo Chichery, Albert Miller, Donnelly Rhodes, Walter Massey, Henry Hovenkamp, Norman Tavis, and Eileen Clifford. The program was presented by this station 
through the facilities of the International Service of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation.